I'm Monica Olson. And I'm Jennifer Walsh. And you're listening to the Biophilic Solutions Podcast, where every other week we sit down with experts and thought leaders across industries in order to explore the innate connection between humans and nature and why we need nature to thrive. We truly believe that in order to tackle the global environmental problems we're facing, we as humans must reconnect to the natural world and come to a better understanding of how we fit in and how we are so interconnected. So in every episode, we'll interview new guests that help us uncover and highlight nature-based solutions to get us on a path to greater health, tackling climate change, and ultimately getting outside and connecting with nature. So let's get to today's episode. Hey, Monica. Hey, Jennifer. So the weather's extremely chilly, and as we're recording this, we're heading into Thanksgiving with the holidays right around the corner. It's a perfect time of year to slow down and unwind from that hectic day-to-day, so we thought we would do another episode all about the biophilic books we're diving into this winter. Yes, I'm super excited to share with you guys. We also think that they're good gifting. Some are a little meatier, and some are a little bit easier, but we're super excited to share them with you. Jen, do you want to kick it off? A lot of the books I'm actually bringing to the table today all are around mental health, our well-being. So they're kind of almost, I think, all from doctors. Now that I'm thinking about it, they're all doctor books. So I'm going to start with my favorite one that I've been sharing this book with everyone I know. It's called The Awakened Brain by Dr. Lisa Miller. And it's a fascinating book around how our brains change and rewire when there's spirituality involved, not religiosity, but if you are more spiritual, you tend to be less depressed, less anxious, and it also helps heal your brain. So Dr. Miller has been, I mean, she studied this for 10 years and for so long, everyone kept doubting her that there's no connection between the brain health and religion or faith. So she proved them wrong. And it's a really remarkable book, chapter after chapter. I just, I want to highlight the entire book because it was so interesting because, you know, we talk about the brain a lot and getting outdoors and a lot of it in the book also touches on the impact that nature has. So quieting the brain, slowing down, getting outside, but kind of reconnecting to yourself in a much more spiritual way. And I also like that she talks about going for a walk in nature. It's a very spiritual or sacred practice. So I thought it was just... Again, such a brilliant book, and she's dedicated her life to really teaching the impact of spirituality on the brain. I love it. Okay, so that's one of our first recommendations. So I'm going to start off with like the meatiest of the books, if you call them that. And it is called The Carbon Almanac. The subtitle is It's Not Too Late. So not to like scare anybody. But what I found really great about this book is that it was super accessible. So many of these books are like, all these numbers and, you know, is it true? And can we do this? And geoengineering and all these weird things. And so this is really almost like a primer. It's almost like a carbon for dummies because it goes in and gives you all the facts about climate change. It has like tables and infographics, but they're very accessible. And everything was done by volunteers. It was a collective of teachers and scientists, artists who came together to do it. And I'll see if I can give you like any kind of like examples of what's sort of in it. So beyond like totally breaking down, like what is carbon? What is methane? Why do we use these numbers? When I see these charts, it seems super complex or too simple. And so then I just shut down. But I liked, I mean, this will sort of tie into a lot of what we're going to talk about today. One question is, what is an ecosystem, right? And the first sentence for that, like, little page is, before 1900, most people viewed each living thing on Earth as a separate entity. As ecological science developed, the concept of interrelated ecosystems became better known. And so we kind of think about 
how everything is interconnected. Every living and non-living thing impacts our ecosystem. But this is kind of a fairly new concept that we really sort of understand the flow of everything and the web-like matrix of the world that we're in. But what I liked about it is it breaks stuff up into here's what we can do, here's what's true. It talks about the science, it talks about the myth. And it was written, I think it came out in 2001. So I know we're at like COP27. But at the very, very back, it also has like all the people that are leading the way and kind of like whose job is it to get this stuff done? It talks about the collective versus the individual. I don't know, guys, this is, it's kind of an oversized book. I really like it. It's probably the most accessible climate book that I've found that isn't just dense, dense, dense with graphs and numbers that you don't understand, or it's just pages that you're just reading from a billionaire who's amazing, but highly recommend. I'll show it to Jennifer right now. Oh, I like it. So a question too, because I know you're a part of a book club. Did you see that in a book club or was it your local bookstore or how'd you find out about it? I'm just curious. Seth Godin is the foreword, and he's sort of just like renowned, wonderful speaker. And he was on a podcast. I think he was either on like a Vox podcast or Ezra Klein or somebody, and he was talking about it. So he does the foreword, and we're going to interview somebody next season, I think next year, who worked on this book. We're going to get somebody in to talk about what it was like to put this book together. So that's my first pick. My next book is called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. So this is by Dr. Bessel van der Valk, and it's fascinating. Again, another fascinating book about the body and like what you were just saying, Monica, about the interconnectedness of everything. A lot of people talk about trauma right now in these days and what trauma is. And I thought this was really interesting that the interconnectedness of that everything happens in our life is stored in our body in some way. I mean... I think that's fascinating. And I've always thought about that in terms of not big, big traumas, but like little things that might happen to you as a kid when you're bullied or when people pick on you in some way or your small little things, but actually they can equal big things in the body if they're not addressed at that time. And so whether it be PTSD, they have a lot of talk around veterans in this book, but it's just so interesting when you start like dissecting exactly that interconnectedness of what we do and how they then go forward with those traumas or experiences. And we talked about even like self-leadership and how do you write to yourself? So journaling is a huge process in life. I've always loved to keep a journal. Well, back then I used to call it a diary when I was like in second or third grade. <laughs> but I love this idea of like writing to yourself and breaking the silence and not being fearful. But then again, like he keeps going over back and forth about this fact of interconnectedness. Don't ever forget that every little thing that we do in our lives are connected to the human body. Every single experience, whether good or bad, we'll always reconnect to the human body, whether it be stored in the body or in the brain. So, I mean, he talks about ways to get through it, other forms of trauma that could be family members, experiences, torn relationships, a really bad breakup, a lost business bankruptcies, like things that happen that are very, very traumatic that we don't really talk about because we might have shame around it. So how do we break the shame cycle as well? And just to live in a state of understanding our brain. So a lot of talk about, again, I'm so fascinated by the human brain. So this is a <laughs> lot of talk about the human brain and how do we get through the neuroscience of understanding kindness and compassion. And again, the once more we, we tap into our own human existence, the more empathetic we are to others 
that are going through hardships and sadness and hard times. So the body keeps the score, brain, mind, and body, and the healing of trauma. This is a really fascinating book. And again, I would recommend this to anyone because it doesn't have to be big trauma, but it can be like everyday things. So how do we work through it? And this is a great workbook and understanding. How do we do that? I love it. Okay. So that's the second, or well, I guess number three, the next book, which I think it makes a lot of sense is sort of connected to what we've been talking about. It's called The Entangled Life, How Fungi Make Our Worlds, Change Our Minds, and Shape Our Futures by Merlin Sheldrake. It's a New York Times bestseller. It came out, I want to say last year. It is all about, if you will, mushrooms, but fungi really. And so I guess we all think of fungi or I think of fungi as a mushroom, but it could be anything. It's like all of these cool fungi that live all throughout the world, mostly beneath our feet, but within trees and compost. And so it could be your traditional mushroom or it could be a lichen. It is a really beautiful book. Merlin is incredible. He really had studied in Panama and that is where he sort of became fascinated with all his work with fungal networks in the tropical forests. And so he studied tropical ecology from Cambridge, but he's also like a fermenter, which is also kind of cool. So the book itself is not too long. There's about a hundred plus pages of notes and the bibliography. So tons of stuff, reference material for like this inner scientist in you. But overall, the book is actually quite poetic really digs into, like I was saying, the interconnectedness of all the fungi, the roots, and how they all support each other, but also talking about how fungi kind of grows into like these cities or more networks. He doesn't quite say it's a brain, but I do think that he is telling us that there is sort of a connected tissue of intelligent life of this network. And so it's almost like was it the book Secret Life of Trees that sort of tells the story of interconnectedness? And there's one study that shows there's electrical activity transmitting signals around the network. And if they start getting near a food source like wood, those electrical impulses increase. So sort of interesting to think about something that, not that we think it's inert because we understand it's alive, but that as this, again, not a brain, but sort of an interconnected intellectual conversation with itself to make changes and find food. So anyway, all about fungi, really cool. Again, more of like has the science, but also talks about just the poetry of what's underneath our feet and the history of people studying fungi, some pictures in the middle. So I totally recommend this Entangled Life by Melvin Sheldrake. All right, what's next? We'll be right back after a quick break. Jennifer, guess what's coming up and where we get to hang out. What's that, Monica? The (laughs) Biophilic Leadership Summit. It's back this March 24th through 26th. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see you in person again. It's been way too long. I know, me too. And we invite all our listeners to come to this year's summit. We're going to be exploring biophilic placemaking and how we use biophilic principles to promote health, happiness, and vitality in public spaces. Yes. And I was just reading over the schedule, which I'm very excited about. There are so many great speakers and panels. And when you get to join us, I'll be doing a nature walk and moderating a wonderful panel on activating community spaces with two incredible women, an architect and an urban planner. So this summit is put on by the Biophilic Institute and Biophilic Cities Project. So 
You can also come meet all of the leading experts in biophilia. And in addition to all incredible multiple presentations, we're going to have all sorts of great farm to table meals, plus cocktails, some book signings and lots of networking, which is always a favorite. And it's going to be at your and my favorite place, the Inn at Serenby. Yep, that's one of my favorite places, as you know. So join us in B for the 6th Annual Biophilic Leadership Summit from March 24th to March 26, 2024. And you can learn more about the summit and register today at biophilicsummit.com. That's biophilicsummit.com. We hope to see you there. We'll see you soon. Bye, Jen. Bye. Okay, that sounds incredible. I definitely want to read that one next. So my next pick is The Comfort Crisis. Monica, I'm not sure if I told you about this book or not before, but it's Embrace Discomfort to Reclaim Your Wild, Happy, Healthy Self by Michael Easter. Have I mentioned it to you before? Maybe, yeah, but I want to hear all about it. It sounds super fascinating. It's really, really interesting. And I fell in love with this book. To be honest, I think I read this a while back, but maybe... I'm going to say maybe six months ago, maybe eight months ago, but I picked it up again because there are always like little parts in it that are so really impactful to our day-to-day life. So the comfort crisis is all about how we become so comfortable that we've lost the human way to really interact socially and interconnected (laughs) in an interconnected kind of way. So how do we get out of this mindset that everything should be like at the tip of our fingers, the drop of a hat, you know, think about how we get everything delivered 24 seven when we want it, that people are like, Oh, I have to walk. If you park your car in a parking lot and you have to walk whatever, a little bit longer than usual, you get so frustrated. So we're so frustrated when things don't come to us like immediately. So how do we become more human by being a little bit more uncomfortable once in a while? How about if we just kind of take that extra walk or wear shoes that aren't so full of foam that we can actually feel the ground beneath us. Like there are certain shoes that are a little bit thinner, things that will make us feel like we're connected to the natural world. And also this helps with neuroplasticity. So we think about, we open our phone and we open to like a Google map because we can find our way so easily, but we're not really in touch with what's happening around us because we're just so used to just the maps are going to tell us where to go. So we're losing that ability to be more human in our contact with one another, that interconnectedness, because we're so connected to our devices that we want everything at the drop of a hat. So how do we embrace that discomfort and reclaim the beauty of life, which is sometimes hard, which could be challenging, which could take hours? You know, people think about the hack environment, everything should be hacked. But think about when you become good at something, it's going to take you years and years and years And just like the human body needs to take years to just fully appreciate surroundings, it takes time to engage. It's like this beautiful connection to one another takes this process. And we're kind of missing out on so many opportunities because we're just too connected to our devices all the time. So I think it's a really cool book, The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. That sounds great. I like that a lot. It's a good one. I feel like we somehow worked together on this list, but we didn't sort of tied into that and continuing the like connectivity. I didn't really think about it until now I'm sharing about all three is a book by Richard Powers. If people remember, he won a Pulitzer Prize for the overstory. This is his new book that came out within the past year called Bewilderment, and it's a novel. And so it's this really beautiful story. And I think we need more storytelling fiction, but still in this sort of world of biophilia. 
It's about a dad who's an astrobiologist who is raising his nine-year-old son, Robin, following the death of his wife. So it's sort of setting up. And the child has, you're not sure, some type of autism or something going on. And it's their relationship. And it's sort of, I don't want to tell the whole story, but it is just a beautiful book. And it will suck you in. And what it does is it talks about all about nature. And sort of early in the book, they go and they hike and camp. And just the way that he talks about the flora and fauna around them, just as the backdrop, is really, really beautiful and poetic. And then at some point, the boy is the one who has the vision, like the father's the scientist and he knows the information, but the child is the one who really sees things. And I like a kind of a gorgeous example of it is they're leaving the valley that they've been hiking in and they're now in their car and there's a traffic jam and they're saying it's a bear jam. And that means that, you know, people have stopped, they've seen black bears and they've stopped to see them. And the little boy is just furious about this. He's kind of disgusted at the humans taking pictures of these bear, a little bear family and has caused this traffic jam. He doesn't care about the traffic jam. It's that these bears have become almost like in a zoo, even though it's in a natural habitat. And the child is horrified that this is terrible that we did this to them. And how do they feel? They probably feel disgusted because we're just staring at them and they're it's just like unfair. So the father goes on to try and the boy is getting very upset about it. So he's trying to sort of change the subject. But in the end, the father says the people are lonely. And that's why they line up along the side of the road, holding out their cell phones to take a pictures of these bears. He says, because we're dying for company. Our species has grown so desperate for, quote, alien contact that traffic could back up for miles at the fleeting glimpse of anything smart and wild. And he says, but nobody wants to be alone, Robbie. And then the little boy says, but dad, we took everything from them. We need, we deserve to be alone. And so there's just these little gems throughout this book that make you think and make you question everything around us and even say going to a wilderness and seeing nature and communing with nature. What have we done? But it's a very uplifting, beautiful book. So I don't want want it to feel preachy. You know, if anybody's read Powers before, he's incredible. So I hugely recommend this book, Bewilderment, a novel by Richard Powers. And it's just a wonderful way to sort of think about nature and think about the world around us while telling this extraordinary story about this father and son. Wow, that sounds so beautiful. Now, how'd you find out about that book? It's really good. I was at the bookstore looking for another book. And I just had seen that he had a new one come out. And so that I was talking to like the book seller guy. And he was just saying he hadn't read it yet, but it just made me think that I should buy it. So I did. And it's just, it was, it's like kind of a can't put it down type of book. It's just so beautiful and a great story between the family and then the outside world. Well, he's a great storyteller though. Like he's a great, I loved his work previously. So now, now hearing you say this, like, okay, now I need to go out and get this book myself. Yeah. Yeah. It really was astonishing. And I mean, you know, the, I think it was like an Oprah book club and it's incredible. The praise this throughout the book, you know, they usually have the little quotes up front. I mean, it's just off of this charts. So recommend that one. Okay. So those are three books. Yeah. So there's six in total, but Producer Katrina has a book for us. Hey, Katrina, tell us about your book. Okay, I'm doing things a little differently. My pick is a book called The Drunken Botanist, The Plants That Create the World's Great Drinks by Amy Stewart. I feel like 
just having been a producer on this podcast from the beginning, some of the things that have really resonated with me as like very tangible, doable solutions are food oriented. So our episodes about eating organic, about eating plant-based, those just feel like really tangible solutions. So I thought it would be interesting to do something that is in that world. But my little twist for the holidays is that it's kind of the boozy version, which <laughs> I'm not. Which we, we appreciate. <laughs> totally. I'm not like a big drinker, but I do love a good cocktail. And this book is just really cool. I mean, it covers like everything from margaritas and martinis <laughs> and like Negronis and champagne cocktails. But it really goes into like the science behind the plants and the chemistry and the fermentation. It's just really interesting. I mean, I love the way she's laid it out. It's very, it's very fun. It's kind of irreverent, but it really does get into the nitty gritty. So one of the sections that I decided to highlight was the section on cider because that's a very seasonal drink right now. So she really dives into the science behind apples and how they reproduce and how in order to get like a really beautiful, really well done cider, you want to use apples that are like extremely bitter to the taste. So crab apples. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's just, but then I guess, and I don't know, I mean, don't ask me to get too deep into the science <laughs> part of it, but I thought it was really interesting. Like apples have been around basically since the dinosaurs, like they've been around forever but the way they reproduce is that like the saplings or the seedlings that fall down from an apple tree and then grow into their own tree will be like almost completely distinct from the ones that came before it. So there's like so many variations of apples. And so that is a huge consideration apparently when it goes into making a cider. So she'll kind of dive into like the history of the plant in question then she'll go into like how to grow your own apple tree or orchard. Um, and if you want to like really do this from the ground up from scratch. And then mm -hmm. she just talks about the history of cider. So cider is something that started with the Romans when they invaded Britain before the year zero, basically. And it was a process that was already kind of happening in that region. And they just like, as they did, just kind of ramped it up and ramped it up to what it is today. And I guess cider production is also very different in America than it is in the old world, which I thought was really interesting. There's a whole section on like Johnny Appleseed and how he like revolutionized wow. cider making. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just really interesting. I love um, it. I always like I'm always fascinated by books like that. Yeah, and it's fun. It's mm -hmm. it's kind of got something for everyone. So I think if you just want a great cocktail recipe, you can definitely find that. But if you're also really interested in botany or plants and herbs, then this is also a really, really fun book. So I thoroughly enjoyed just kind of flipping through it. In the intro, she's got a funny line that's like, how can anyone with a passing interest in botany not be obsessed with gin? Because I guess there's so many different <laughs> oh, things going to gin. And I'm like, I don't even know. To me, you know, you take a sip of gin and it's like disgusting <laughs> on its own. <laughs> but it is really interesting, the history of these things. Yeah. I think so. That's my pick. I love it. Yeah, that's a too. great gift. That is a great <laughs> gift. Maybe I'll have to buy for myself as well to get ready for the holidays too. Yeah. 
this is a good gift, I think. I want to yeah, you got to balance the little cocktails with the carbonyl. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Make a cocktail and then dive into the carbon almanac, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> Watch out, Katrina, you may get one for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. (laughs) I wouldn't be mad at that. (laughs) Love it. All right. Well, we'll put everything up in the show notes with links to buy them all. And we encourage you to take the time this holiday and find a cozy corner and pick up a book and read or give a gift to somebody else and get people connected with nature. Yes. And don't forget to slow down, right? We always talk about the importance of slowing down right now. So it's an important time of year just to kind of take in that time to just be in that space of gratitude and take the time to slow down and read and enjoy a book with yourself or with your family members. Right. And we'll be back in two weeks with our last episode of the season before we take a little hiatus, right, Katrina? That's right. All right, ladies. Thanks, Monica. Katrina. Bye, Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Give us a five-star rating and please leave us a review. It really goes such a long way towards helping us reach a wider audience and sharing these amazing interviews and solutions with the world. Absolutely. So thanks so much for following and reviewing the podcast. And we'll be back with another amazing interview in two weeks. You're now a part of the Biophilic Movement.